This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm Talib Vizram, and this is World Changing Ideas from Fast Company Magazine, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. Hey, everybody. We're going to talk about something today that's at the very heart of the climate crisis. How do we get more people to care about it? Joining me is Fast Company senior editor Jeff Beer to delve into it. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Talib. How are you? Good, man. So, all right, let's dive in. Where do we start with this colossal issue? Okay, how about if we start with Texas? Okay, uh, that's intriguing. Why Texas? <laughs> well, okay, bear with me. Let's rewind. We're going to go back to New Year's Day 1986. It was a big televised football game between Texas A&M and Auburn. And during the game, Texas viewers saw a new public service announcement from the state's Department of Transportation starring blues rock legend Stevie Ray Vaughan. Each year, we spend over $20 million picking up trash along our Texas highways. Messing with Texas isn't just an insult to the Lone Star State. It's a crime. You know, it's, it's, it's like... He's sitting there with a rippling American flag behind him. Actually, it's not an American flag. It's a Texas flag. Excuse me. Sorry, All Texas. Right. But he's plick, <laughs> plucking this bluesy riff of the eyes of Texas on his guitar. Classic tune. Now, blues rock legend aside, it's about as dry as any PSA about littering you'd expect it to be. But then at the end, Vaughn says it. And we all know this from then on. We may have never seen the PSA, but everyone has heard the phrase, don't mess with Texas. You already kind of messed with Texas by getting the flag wrong, but we'll we'll excuse that. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Texas. Don't mess with Texas. Well, interesting to hear that's where it comes from. And, and why was that so significant? Well, it was significant because that PSA launched this phrase where in a place where it recognized that you're talking about a state with this pretty fierce sense of identity. And over the last 35 years since that PSA, this Don't Mess With Texas goes way beyond uh, a litter anti-littering campaign and has been plastered across T-shirts, bumper stickers, flags, coffee mugs, belt buckles. I mean, you name it. It probably qualifies as one of the most popular and enduring advertising taglines in American history. Absolutely. But did it work in terms of cleaning up litter? <laughs> yes, it did. It actually worked. Uh, so leading up to that campaign, highway littering was increasing there by about 17% every year. And by 1987, littering was down. So this aired in 85. By 87, littering was down by 29%. It dropped another 54% by the next year. And by 1990, littering levels were down by 72% compared to four years earlier. Wow. So could that kind of successful advertising story be applied to the climate crisis? When it comes to the climate crisis, I mean, there's a long answer and a short answer. I am going to give you the long answer. That's what we want. When it, <laughs> when it comes to the climate crisis, you know, um, we've Americans, we've been regularly served up PSAs for 
you know, I, I feel like the last two decades uh, from Al Gore's call to action in his 2006 documentary An Inconvenient Truth to celebrities like Julia Roberts and Harrison Ford voicing nature's concerns in PSAs to Greta Thunberg's Fridays for Future with warnings about rising temperatures, sea levels, melting ice caps, and all the impending societal fallout of it all. Yet, you know, it, it still hasn't really been enough to convince people to act like this is an actual crisis whether in their daily lives or how we vote or implement legislation and regulation that will help solve it. You know, there was a a Pew research survey last year that found that while 71% of millennials said climate should be a top priority, just 23% reported taking any personal action to help address climate change. So that's kind of strange because, you know, back in 87, countries were able to come together to sign uh, the Montreal Protocol, which was designed to phase out chlorofluorocarbons, which we, we know as CFCs, which are kind of in a lot of personal hygiene products and hairsprays and deodorants. And that really worked. So why aren't we seeing the same approach here? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I talked to a bunch of people about, you know, this kind of messaging. And one thing that comes out is the challenge with climate is that even though, I mean, it's so wide ranging that it's less tangible and understandable. I mean, with the CFCs and the ozone layer that was all around, like sort of that, that was like the, the phrase, right? The ozone layer, the hole in the ozone. And, you know, people inherently got that idea. There's a hole and it's bad and it's up right. there and we got to fix it. And so that worked by sparking both behavioral and legislative change. And NASA reported in 2017 that the size of the hole was at its smallest since 1988. So there was this concept that everyone sort of could focus on this one thing, and there was behaviors to change to, to address it, both behaviors to change on a, on a personal level and you know legislative and governmental level. They were able to do that. Okay, that makes sense. Big hole needs to be patched up. It's easy easy to visualize, right? Right. So if climate change is such a big deal, which it is, I don't mean to sound like it's not, how do we get this to the forefront of everybody's minds? I mean, we see do see it more often in but but still inconsistently, uh, in terms of advertising and marketing and and sort of that the media culture. I mean, we see it with bigger brands here and there, you know. Uh, beginning to tie their major advertising and products to aspects of the climate crisis. You know, look no further than the Super Bowl not long ago. You know, you had uh, Salesforce had an ad called Team Earth with Matthew McConaughey pitching Earth as the next frontier as opposed to, you know, going to Mars or or, or space or anywhere else in space. And, you know, I mean, everyone wanted to call it the crypto bowl with all the, the crypto advertising. But I, I think rivaling that, it was also the, the EV bowl, the electric vehicle bowl. There was a lot of electric vehicle ads uh, GE, one example using, you know, an Austin Powers gimmick to remind us how important growing electric vehicle sales are in this overall climate change battle. But even though that's happening, best-selling author Adam Alter, who's, who's written two books, uh, Drunk Tank Pink and Irresistible, on human behavior and what gets our attention, you know, I, I talked to him about this and, and, and he told me that, that action on climate change is difficult to sell, primarily because it's a climate crisis. And as you said, it very much is. It, it's happening rather slowly. Uh, it, I mean, existentially, it's happening quickly. But, but you know, <laughs> on a day-to-day basis, it's happening, you know, rather slowly. And, and it's not really on a daily, weekly, monthly scale, but something that's happening over years and decades. And he told me, even more troubling is the fact that you can't see the effects in your actions. And this is him speaking. He told me, 
If you doubled your carbon footprint this year, your personal experience of the world wouldn't change. If you halved it, your personal experience wouldn't change either. So we're asking people to care about an issue that feels remote relative to more immediate issues. And we're asking them to make fairly demanding changes to their lives that don't produce obvious measurable results. Okay, so I see your point. Sort of, you know, reducing carbon footprint is less easy to visualize than big home that needs patched up. Okay, so if we've been hearing about this for, for decades now, then wouldn't it have kind of affected our behavior by now? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it, 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 in some ways it has, but, uh, you know, a lot of, in terms of the messaging, in terms of getting the message out there and the idea of encouraging collective action, a lot of the messaging ha- for the last decade or more has actually been more about awareness, you know, and, and I mean, and that reflects the the way the conversation around climate change has, has been. I mean, Fridays for Future, they had a PSA last fall focused on climate denial. I mean, we're still talking about whether this thing exists or not in a, in, a, in a lot of circles. So that's one major aspect. And I talked to Marcus Collins, who's a University of Michigan marketing professor, but he's also head of strategy at Widening Kennedy in New York. And he told me that awareness, obviously awareness alone, just isn't enough to encourage that crucial action. Uh, he told me, when you say climate change is real and happening, what do I do about that today? The message hasn't been as immediate and the behavior is not as tangible. Whereas the anti-littering campaign worked so well in Texas because it tied the desired action to, you know, Texans' identity, right? And not to the outcome of litter prevention. Exactly, exactly. I mean, Collins goes on, like, he's really big on the idea of tying things to culture and identity and that's where the the motivations can lie and and he told me that you know obviously that that language became a rallying cry for texans not just around anti-littering but as i said the t-shirts the the coffee mugs the 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 bumper stickers so you know colin says culture is anchored in identity and it is the governing operating system of man it says that because i subscribe to a particular tribe particular group of people a particular identity mark there are beliefs and ideologies that i adopt or take on so according to a, there was a 2020 report from the Yale program on climate change communication, and only about a third of Americans feel alarmed about climate change. Wow. So the challenge is to find a way to stimulate action on climate through culture and identity. You know, if, we're, if, we're, if we subscribe to, <laughs> to what Collins uh, is saying. So the, the, the yeah. problem is, when I talk to him about this, the problem is no one looks in the mirror and says, I'm a human. Uh, I mean, some people do, and that's great, but like, there's, it's got to be something more. He, he told me that, you know, just as don't mess with Texas tapped into that state pride to spark action, climate crisis communication should use a, a, a similar approach in some ways. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Okay, so how do we tie this crisis more to identity and culture? What is the identity we're supposed to be targeting in this case? From my conversations, it it sounds like there's going to be way more than one. But there's an organization called the Potential Energy Coalition. And it's a nonprofit that uses marketing and communications to expand the number of people demanding action on climate. It's conducted research on on who the most effective groups and identities would be, like who we should be tapping into first, maybe would be like the, the, the most effective. And, and I, I talked to their CEO, John Marshalls, and he told me that we quickly need to get the number of Americans feeling alarmed about climate above 50%. So his organization wanted to went out to find those audiences who mattered first to make that happen. 
Last year, they launched a, a, a PSA campaign called Science Moms, and it featured a group of female climate scientists. There was uh, Colorado State University atmospheric scientist Dr. Melissa Burt and Dr. Emily Fisher and University of Arizona oceanographer Dr. Joellen Russell. And the campaign began running in just a few markets at the start of last year. And the results, I mean, the early results were, were so encouraging that the Ad Council stepped in and started running it nationally. So moms. Uh, it's nice to know we can we can still rely on mom. And this is not the first time that moms have, have been tapped to take on national crises, right? So Mothers Against Drunk Driving PSAs and advocacy have helped decrease impaired driving in the U.S. by 50% since the group was founded in 1980. Even though the holidays will never be the same, my sister will always have a place in our family. Even though life goes on, my mom will always have a place in my heart. For victims of drunk and drug driving, our grief is unique, but you are not alone. You always have a place at MAD. Call our 24-hour victim Right, help absolutely. Line. And, and you know, some other things to note. Marshall, he told me how it's important to change how we're talking about it. So his organization, they, they've served about 800 million ads and about 200 ad tests with randomized control trials, trying to just really get at this question and find out how to get people to care about the issue. And it's led them uh, to a few conclusions. One is merely the framing and language need to change. As Marshall puts it, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, this is a great day for decarbonization. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you, I don't do that, but I, maybe. Uh, I do not. It's also, so, so then it's also about relevance and a sense of urgency. He told me that they've tested a whole bunch of different angles and it's really human stories about you, your community, and the people you love and care about being impacted that anchors the issue in relevance. He said, we found that messaging through your children is one of the leading effective ways, if not the most effective. So taking that giant issue of climate change and climate crisis and sort of boiling it down to how does it affect you, your community, your street. And I mean, in, in his case, you're saying, you know, if you can make it look at how it's going to affect your children, yeah. people start to pay attention. Yeah, because we have a very natural awareness campaign going on, right? It, which is experiencing the effects of extreme weather events like severe droughts and flooding and wildfires. Uh, yeah, I assume that's a pretty effective message. Yeah, that's like the unintentional PSAs of all of all of this for sure. Yeah. And sometimes unfortunately I think it it, may, it might take something like that or at least in some part of our country to recognize not something happening way overseas it's something that's happening to you know somewhere where you know a relative or friend might live or or close by you know because there's there's a few darker hurdles to overcome here than just targeting specific groups and identities with you know effectively you know urgent language. Last September, Congress launched an investigation uh, and held hearings into the reported role of the fossil fuel industry in a long-running industry-wide campaign to spread disinformation about the role of fossil fuels in causing climate change. Now, if that rings a bell, remember the famous 1971 crying Native American anti-pollution PSA, also famously kind of known as the, quote, crying Indian PSA, from an organization called Keep America Beautiful. Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. 
What on the surface there appeared to be an environmentally conscious campaign was really an effort by beverage and packaging corporations to pass the responsibility for waste and littering created by their products to us, the individual consumer. So Democratic Representatives Carolyn B. Maloney, uh, Chairwoman of the Oversight and Reform Committee, and Ro Khanna, Chairman of the Subcommittee on the Environment, sent a letter to top executives, fossil fuel executives, ExxonMobil, BP America, Chevron, Shell Oil, American Petroleum Institute, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, accusing that these companies and allies in the fossil fuel industry have worked to prevent serious action on global warming by generating doubt about the documented dangers of fossil fuel. So Big Oil has been credited with seeding the emphasis on personal responsibility on climate action over corporate and regulatory overhaul, which... We go back to what we were talking about before, you know, that idea of, you know, if you cut your, uh, your carbon footprint in half today, you don't see a demonstrable change. If you doubled it, you don't see a demonstrable change. This is the, that sort of feeling of not ho- hopelessness or, or, or the idea that you have no effect on things. This is something that idea of personal responsibility is the only way to go. They're saying that, you know, this is a campaign that was fueled by the fossil fuel industry. I talked to a guy named Duncan Meisel, who is the campaign director for a nonprofit media lab called Fossil Free Media, which began a, a campaign called Clean Creatives last year to encourage PR and ad agencies to dump their fossil fuel clients. And he says that these hearings, this investigation, this, this idea of the government looking into this disinformation could be the fossil fuel industry's big tobacco moment and really provide the ammunition for, for more intense engagement. He told me that One of the most important messages or most motivating messages for people who do take action on climate change is how much we've been lied to. He said, I think this investigation will show the self-interest and the greed of the people behind the climate crisis, and that will spark more people into action. Wow. Well, I mean, it sounds like there are some promising strategies, but we certainly have our work cut out if we're going to wade through disinformation campaigns and motivate large corporations to start caring too. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's it's like Duncan Meisel has a point, you know, maybe anger is one motivating factor of being lied to. The other is, you know, I I think it was Marshall. Yeah. Talking about, you know, really localizing the effects of climate change, like making it similar to the hole in the ozone. But, you know, effects of climate change on our local environment and our our neighborhoods and our kids. Uh, But it's definitely going to take a lot more than a don't mess with mom's bumper sticker. Right. Well, thank you for coming on, Jeff. Really appreciate having you here. Thanks a lot. That's it for our show today. Thanks for joining. And if you enjoyed listening, give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you'd like to hear more ideas and innovations that are tackling climate change, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Talib Vizram. Avery Miles produces our show, and it's edited by Nicholas Torres.